and then I heard my four-year-old scream and he has a good scream like he he'll scream like that whether he is hurt or just can't find his sock babies are such a gift they are such a blessing to families and at the same time they come with immense challenges almost overnight you were a family of two and now you're a family of three then you get all the other feelings coming in as well as a parent. There's a lot of blame, all these emotions you have, as well as the worries of, is he gonna have it forever? Is he gonna be bullied throughout school? Is he gonna find it difficult to make friends? Hello, Faith here. And guess what? It's time for Stroller Coaster, the podcast that takes you on the wild ride of parenting created by Munchkin. So today's episode is about stress. Stress. We know it. We live it. We love it. Um, We need to love it. And that's why we're going to hear from people who will help us manage our stress. Justin, you ever ever have stressful days? Ah, let me think. I know it's hard to think about stressful moments. Yeah, I'm trying to think back to the last time I was stressed. Hold on, you know what, Justin? Take a sip of that tea you have there, that chamomile tea, and tell me about... I'm about to, sorry, I I just can't hear there's so many birds chirping right out of my windowsill as if to say, good morning. (laughs) Yeah, and right now my my pedicure's drying, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna live in the moment, because that's what parents do, right? That's exactly right. And you know, yesterday, I I really feel like I um, successfully maintained these feelings of calm Mm. during time that um, my kids both had remote school Uh, and I had conference calls and they were fighting and then sobbing over a Lego. And then I had to make dinner and fought with my daughter while I was conditioning her hair, trying to convince her that the conditioner needed to be washed out. uh, I mean, I think you and I speak for all parents when we just say, "Ah, uh, bring it on. Yeah. (laughs) So the question for today is, how can we manage our stress? Yes. We will do our best to answer that question. I will talk with a mom about the time she knew how to get a pee out of her son's nose. And we'll hear about a parent whose son has a stutter and what she did to help him thrive. And we will get tips on marriage stress that we didn't even know we needed. And then we'll wrap it up with something every parent does need, a moment of calm. So stay right there. Catherine Watts-Reed is a mother of three and a Canadian-based author and editor who writes about something she calls the mental load that many parents carry around with them. I want to find out what this is. Welcome, Catherine. Hi. (laughs) It's a mental load. So I would compare it to having like a hundred tabs open on your browser, um, all of which feel like they need your immediate attention. And we tend to carry as moms these essential bits of information or non-essential. And at any given moment, we're thinking, oh, I need to book swimming lessons. Um, I have to make sure my six-year-old's pants are clean or he won't wear pants tomorrow because he only likes those pants. And, uh, you know, here's how to blow a foreign object out of your child's nose. So I, I relate to that. But but before we go further, let me stop you there and ask why you say it's it's a mom thing. Because there are certainly same-sex parents, like the ones I have in, in right. my life, my brother and his husband, who 
figure out how to take care of their kids on their own. So why is why is this a mom thing? You make a good point. I think uh, it could be an anyone thing, but I think the burden is often put on women and it might be societal pressure or something we're putting on ourselves, but you I do think? think it is often, you think often it women. I do think. Yeah, so, um, so I blame the patriarchy. But of moving course. on, this is something you feel and I'm sure it is resonant with many moms and, mm -hmm. and some dads. Um, you mentioned blowing a foreign object out of a kid's nostrils. That sounds awfully personal. Do you have personal experience with that? I sure do. Yeah. So um, the other night I, I made dinner for my three kids and I, um, you know, I set them at the table and I just quickly went to switch the laundry over uh, in the basement. And then I heard my four-year-old scream and he has a good scream. Like he, he'll scream like that whether he is hurt or just can't find his sock. So I didn't rush up or anything, but when I got there, uh, he had actually shoved a pee so far up his nose <gasps> that it was lodged in there. And um, oh. and I remembered a tip I'd read or heard somewhere and it just decided to stick around in my brain, I guess. And it was that you should never like dig in there to uh, try to get something out, right? Cause you'll just shove right. it further up. So. <laughs> I had read that you're supposed to cover their mouth with your mouth and just blow as hard as you can. What? Yeah. That makes so much sense. And It and does, I, yeah. A, I've never heard that. And B, it's amazing you retain that. I will never forget it. Now I hope my kid shoves a pee up his nose. Yeah, and you can use it. Or Lego, you yes. know, you can use it with anything. And so where does, what role does mental load play in all this? So part of the mental load is feeling this responsibility to be aware of any circumstance that might come up in parenting. Personally for me, and it might be the case with other parents, you wanna, you wanna know everything so that you can be like the best parent you can be. And you also wanna prepare for any sort of disaster. So when I saw this headline talking about, don't do this if uh, your child sticks something up their nose, like I clicked on it and I learned the thing. Um, and I stored that information in my head. And I think that's part of the mental load is just um, trying to be aware of anything that could possibly go wrong so that you can get ahead of it. See, I have useless information like what to do in a zombie attack. Yeah, that's um, good. <laughs> but when we use the word load, it generally has a negative connotation. And the way you're describing mental load is just stuff that sticks in our brain and stuff we need to remember. Mm -hmm. um, so why is this an important phrase? Because it's not fun most of the time. Uh, it's largely invisible, the mental load. It's not um, something that people can see. You know, we're working behind the scenes. We're anticipating everyone's needs. We're managing schedules. We're um, always feeling needed. We're the ones that know mm -hmm. where everything is kept. And in addition, many of us have careers. Yeah, in addition to that. Oh, of course, yeah, and, and we're always on. I think what you're saying mm -hmm. is also that we can only be the best parents we can be if we take care of ourselves. Yeah, and you know, that's often referred to as like self-care, but I feel like some of the things that are billed as self-care for moms are actually not self-care at all. They're just like the basic needs we have. For, Give me some uh, examples. Okay, um, showering, healthy meals, joyful movement, positive <laughs> connection. You know, those are billed as like, oh, that mom is really taking care of herself. That's called breathing. Right. It's called yeah. it's called you know our basic uh, basic rights as humans. And um, yeah, like I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who isn't a mom who would get in the shower and be like, ooh, I shouldn't be here. You've had a moment where you've gotten in the shower and thought you shouldn't be there. Yeah, I'm like, oh, do I have time to wash my hair? And you know, if I'm shaving my legs, that's like a big day. There's an event going on. 
there's something happening if I if I have time for that. And I had to do like a lot of inner work here to figure out no, that's that's not normal. And to just say, set the boundaries with yourself to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. So I'm going to ask you a tough question. I I have no guilt. I am so grateful to have been able to become a parent in my 40s. And so constantly astonished by my children who are not perfect, who are loud and messy and flatulent, in fact. But guilt's not my thing. I feel resentment, although it's not really directed at my husband. It's directed at our society. I don't want to spend time scheduling playdates. I don't want to be the one always scheduling playdates. And so, for example, only mothers ever reach out to me about mm-hmm. playdates. They yeah. never reach out to my husband. Um, and when I schedule playdates, if I take the initiative, I always include all husbands on the email and mm-hmm. none of them ever, ever has written back. And so what do I do in that case? Maybe, what would you recommend, Catherine? Maybe don't boundaries? include the wives in the email. Kids will never have a playmate, but that's a great idea. These are all experiments. If the mental load of say, um, say your kids leave their toys around or your husband leaves their socks on the floor and you decide, oh, I'm just going to do this experiment. Just see, I'm going to leave that there and see what happens. And the reality is no one's picking it up. Everybody has the ability in my house to just walk right on by that pile and they don't notice it. And I guess you could apply that same logic to the playdates. If you don't schedule them, are the kids going to have a playdate? No. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's, I like, I like your notion of experiments, even if we predict that they will end disappointingly because yeah. it comes from a place of curiosity, right? Yeah. And curiosity is always a better place to start than resentment. If I could leave you with one piece of advice, it would be to set boundaries so that you can be a happier parent, um, a better parent, and kinder to yourself. Catherine, I have loved talking to you. And and sadly, there are boundaries around this interview. It's really great to have a conversation with you. Thank you. Hey, Justin. Yes. Uh, I... I really want to get a a dad point of view on Mm. mental load. Does this resonate with you? The playdate thing really resonated with me because I don't set up playdates. I never do it. And I don't know what it is because I'm I'm down. I'm here for it. I love a playdate. Because you know why, Justin? Because mothers don't reach out to you. Yeah. It is it is the it is one of the worst things women perpetrate upon other women. And I <laughs> I am just throwing that out there. Um that is for a future episode and a future nonprofit organization I'm going to start in order to combat that. <laughs> anyway, you know what the bottom line is? It's just good to talk about it. It's just good to yes. hear other people's loads. I'm happy to hear about your load cuz it makes my load feel slightly less heavy. 100% cuz if someone feels like they have no that you have no load in the in any relationship all of a sudden you're like, yeah, light, light load over here. Look at a light load. <laughs> so far, we have talked about parenting stress because there's a lot of it. But what about our kids? They have stress. Victoria Wiggins is a mom in the UK who helped her son Sam navigate a uniquely stressful situation. Our correspondent Fleece has the parenting story of the day. Victoria Wiggins is a mom from England. Her son, Sam, has a stammer. Stammering, also called stuttering, is a neurophysical condition. As Sam describes it, he repeats sounds or words, and sometimes they get stuck. So I have two children. I have a daughter who is 13, and she has Asperger's. 
and I have a son who's 11, Samuel, and he has a stammer. Yeah, it's been very challenging at times. It's taken getting used to and learning lots of different techniques and strategies. Okay, so when he was about two, I think, two or three, he started with his stammer. And initially, I didn't really think much about it. I just, you know, we just accepted that that's what it was and didn't really think. But it went on for quite some time. And I wasn't quite sure how to deal with it. I wasn't sure if I should be finishing his sentences, pointing his stammer out, making an issue of it, ignoring it totally. Do we address it? Do I ask for help? And then you get all the other feelings coming in as well as a parent of why does he stammer? You, there's a lot of blame, all these emotions you have, as well as the worries of, you know, is he, is he going to have it forever? She didn't know anyone else with a stammer, so she didn't have anyone to share experiences with. Then Sam was referred to a speech therapist. She was fantastic and she put us at ease quite early on and I actually I do think the first speech therapy session was all about therapy for me not for Sam because Sam took it all in his stride he was amazing you know he just got on with it he didn't know any different but I just fell to pieces and I cried and you know I was beside myself probably actually for the first few speech therapy sessions I found it really difficult um but she did put my mind at rest. She taught of lots of techniques. Techniques included things like sliding into a word instead of bumping at the beginning of a sound, or Sam tapping his leg in rhythm with the syllables of a word. Victoria also made sure he had practice interacting out in the world. From a young age, I've made sure that both the children are confident and that they're not scared of speaking to people, that they're not shy, that they can ask for what they want. So if we go to a cafe, they'll ask, they'll order their own food. Um, when we go to the opticians, Samuel will walk up to the counter, make his own appointments, collect his own glasses while I stand and watch. Victoria said that one of the most amazing and useful things they did was put together a presentation for school where Sam and his speech therapist talked all about stammering. A lot of times in movies or things you'll see on television, they will put somebody that's shy or scared, they will make them stammer. Um, and I think, so for that reason, people just kind of link the two. But that's not true. And I do think the more the more it's talked about, education is most definitely key. The more it's talked about is just key for, to people understanding. Um, but no, Sam's definitely not shy. He's definitely not. He's, he's out there living his best life. And this is part of the presentation that Sam does for his school. He says, I'm not shy just because I have a stammer. Don't think I'm shy because I'm not. I'm not scared. I'm not weak. Once it's been addressed, you know, kind of the elephant in the room and everybody knows what it's all about. The children are so amazing with him. The response Sam had from his friends, they were so supportive and they understood. This helped Sam build his confidence, but there were still challenges to overcome. He had been asked to do a video message to his friend for her birthday and we tried this twice and each time he just couldn't get his words out and he broke down for the first time ever he cried about his stammer uh, he was really upset he hated it why do I have to have a stammer why can't I speak properly why does this have to happen to me he was so upset that he couldn't even wish his friend a happy birthday that was a real low point for him um, and it did it broke my heart because as a parent you want to make things better but I couldn't this is when we decided to sit down put all his emotions and feelings on paper and discuss it and we ended up with this really amazing poem that we wrote which Sam 
read out and I put it on the internet and it went viral very, very quickly. This poem helped children from around the world come forward about their own stammers. It was made into posters in speech therapy rooms, used by teachers in schools and by parents. It's okay to be different. It's okay to stammer. It's okay to be you. Don't try and change. Just be happy being you. And that's basically what the poem's about. I have a stammer. I find it hard sometimes. It explains how to help somebody with a stammer, what to do. Don't laugh, don't stare, just give them time and be happy being you. Soon, Sam became part of the stammering community and even started running monthly meetings for kids. It's really built his confidence meeting other children as well. For the first time, he's been able to interact with other adults and children with a stammer and realize that he's not alone. Techniques, communicating, and creating community were all put to the test one day when Sam had a moment of adversity. Sam was on his computer with his headset on and I'd overheard a conversation. This boy had mimicked Sam and copied his stammer and laughed at him. And I was so angry, I wanted to run upstairs and shout down the mic, how dare you you bully him or mimic him and make him feel like that. That's so unkind. But I thought, actually, no, Sam's confidence has grown so much over the last few months. He can handle himself. He knows exactly what to do. So I kind of took a step back and I was just on standby. Your mum instincts kick in and you want to just rush upstairs and protect them. But I thought, no, let him try and deal with this himself. So... I just listened from downstairs and he was absolutely amazing. He was so calm. He just said, um, excuse me, uh, I have something called a stammer. That's where I repeat sounds and words. I can't help it. I don't do it on purpose. This is how I speak. And I don't like it when you laugh. I don't like it when you copy me. And I don't like it when you make fun. And do you know what? They ended up being friends. They played this game together. Sam had corrected him, told him he didn't like it. And I was so proud of him for articulating and explaining so well without getting cross or upset or angry. He just kept his cool and it did make me so proud. Sam now acts, models and is three belts away from a black belt in Taekwondo. It doesn't hold him back. It doesn't stop him doing anything he wants to do. So having a stammer is just the way he speaks. It's just how many people speak. It's just like as if somebody had an accent. Everyone's different and we celebrate differences in our house. I'm blessed. They're such lovely children. They're so kind to each other. They just compliment each other. Victoria's advice to anyone with a stammer? Acceptance has been the the biggest thing for both Sam and I, accepting that that's who he is and that's how he speaks. And that's okay. It's okay to be different. It's okay to be who you are. But most definitely reach out. Reach out and meet other people and, yeah, get that support because it's worth doing and they're all so kind. You know, Justin, I love the reminder in that story about how important it is to give people time to speak. Yeah. It- like, let them finish in their own good time. Yeah. And, you know, the other part of exercising patience is acceptance. Yeah. Like, acceptance is built in. If you're going to give someone the time and space to be him or herself, then you're accepting and I feel like patience is like sort of you take the long walk of patience and you land at acceptance Acceptance Town. It's a long walk sometimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. It's time for Parenting Confessions. We're back at the playground to see what secrets parents have to share with us today. If we get a new board game and it has lots of instructions and pieces and stuff, I just kind of make up our own rules and then hope that my daughter's friends don't have the same game to call our bluff. This is embarrassing. 
Sometimes I can't tell my twins apart, so I call them both Bunny. That's my trick. I ran into a friend at the store and I was bragging about how I potty trained my son. And guess what? He was peeing behind me on the floor. Okay. You know, as we were pulling together this show, there was one topic that many of us around here were very interested in hearing about. Marriage stress. It is a topic people don't talk about enough, but we will. If you're in a relationship of any kind, you're going to want to take notes. I am here with April Eldemeyer. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist, bringing baby home educator and couples expert. Welcome, April. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you today. I'm really, really thrilled to talk with you, and I bet you have an awesome marriage if I can be so presumptuous. <laughs> it comes and goes at times, right? There's always seasons of relationships. I really appreciate that answer. So April, in those first few years of parenting, things are like a, a relay race of logistics, not to mention you're, you're getting to know each other's parenting styles for the first time. So now you're seeing each other as exhausted parents and not just that hot person you dated. Can you kind of explain what happens to marriage for new parents? Sure. There's so much that happens. You know, babies are such a gift. They are such a blessing to families. And at the same time, they come with immense challenges. Um, and it's really drastic shifts. Almost overnight, you were a family of two and now you're a family of three. So you're faced with um, challenges like sleep deprivation for the first time that you've never felt before. Can you speak more to this very specific kind of, mm -hmm. you know, new parent stress and how it changes the dynamic between parents? Sure, yeah. So there's four most destructive behavior patterns that are exhibited in relationships. And they, they even have a term for them. They're called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first one is criticism. And that's, that means pointing out something negative in your partner or blaming them for a problem by maybe naming a personality flaw, you know, attacking their character. It makes them feel like there's something wrong with them. So that's number one. That's criticism. What is the second horseman of the horse person of the apocalypse? <laughs> the second one is defensiveness. And that's used to protect yourself against feeling blamed or attacked. So that often follows criticism. An example of that might look like counterattacking. Um, it might look like not taking any responsibility for their participation in the argument at hand. And what's number three? So number three, uh, stonewalling, which looks like a partner withdrawing from the conversation or the disagreement. Uh, they might shut down. They might physically leave the room. Mm. And they usually do this because something alerts on the inside in their brain that says, I'm flooded. I'm overwhelmed. I can't process. This is too much. It's emotional overload. And so they might not make eye contact or, or like I said, either emotionally or physically check out. And number four? So this is the most destructive of the four. And it, uh -oh. yes, it's a big one and it's contempt. Mm. And that's really a statement made to their partner from a place of superiority. So in order to put that person down, some examples of that might be sarcasm, mocking the other person, insults, all of those make you feel like you're better than them and puts them down. Gosh, 
Just hearing this list makes me, it, it feels like a, like a heavy stone in my stomach. I think many of us have experienced one or four of these at different points in our life, right? With different partners um, and dealing with any of them when you have a new baby or young children, it just puts you over the edge. It does. And that you brought something up that um, might be reassuring to couples, which I haven't said before, but I really need to impart. I would say the majority, if not all relationships have some form of all four of these, or at least two or three. Really what what's different about um, the erosion of the relationship over time is the frequency and the intensity of how much these behaviors show up and crop up in the relationship. So we know what to look out for. Um, let's talk solutions because I'm <laughs> my cortisol is going up. <laughs> what do we? Let's go. Let's go one by one. Let's do um, it. What is the anti? What is the antidote to criticism? Uh, okay, keep hope alive. Here we go. <laughs> so the antidote to criticism is really simple. It's using I statements. It's expressing a positive need. So it's focusing on yourself and your feelings. An example might be, mm, I know you meant well, but your tone of voice hurt my feelings. And I'd appreciate it if next time you want to get your point across, you'd speak to me in a better way. All right. So so what's the solution to being defensive? So that one's the simple one, too. It's easy. So just take responsibility. Accept that your partner's perspective might be different than yours, even if you don't see whatever interaction that was uh, in the same way. And it's offering an apology for any wrongdoing. So take yourself off your high horse <laughs> and see that you might be contributing here. What might be your participation in this argument? Everything you just said felt like a bubble bath. The way you just said that. Like, like if in the if in the future Good. my husband said that to me every single time we had tension, like you could just fill in the blank with whatever the issue is, I would be like, ah, um, right. Yeah. It's Oh, it's soft. It's connecting. It's smooth. It's connecting. Yeah. Yep. It's saying, you know, we're on the same team. All right. Stonewalling. Talk to us about that. No pun intended. That's pretty hard. That's it's intense when someone stonewalls you. It is awful, right? It's awful. You feel helpless. You feel left alone. And all of those feelings and the conflict is still very much there. It doesn't go anywhere. So it is an awful feeling. One is to recognize and understand that that person who's shutting down on you might not be intentionally wanting to hurt you. It's not deliberate pain that's being inflicted from them to you. It really is the inability for them to communicate in that moment. So if somebody tends to be more of the stonewaller in the relationship, taking a break is essential. And that might be saying to your partner, I'm feeling flooded or overwhelmed, or I really need a break. I need some space right now. Give me 20 minutes and then we'll come back and we'll do this over or we'll try this again. I once talked with a couple therapist who said, uh, look, if you're not motivated by gentleness towards each other and, and trying to transcend difficulties because you love each other and chose to marry each other, then be motivated by the fact that your children are watching. Mm. And children who see their parents fight, uh, whether they you know, explicitly demonstrate it or not, it is painful for them. And, and that really got me because, you know, we can hang on to anger towards our partner. Uh, you know, some of us are really, really mm. good at that. Um, but most of us don't want to cause our children pain or distress. I love that. Yes, you're a reflection of them and they're a reflection of you and they're sponges. 
All right, we're at the C word. How do we reverse contempt? Oh, okay. So if you find yourself having contemptuous thoughts about your partner, build what's called a culture of appreciation. So remind yourself of your partner's positive qualities and find gratitude for what they bring to the table. You know, there's a saying that goes, uh, wake up in the morning and catch your partner doing something right. That takes away some of those contemptuous thoughts and behaviors. What about couples who are two or three years in or more and it feels like it's too late? Well, I would say don't lose hope. There's always an opportunity to turn things around. You know, you always have the ability to find yourself back on track if you feel that you've derailed or if you've, you feel like you're so far apart that if you, again, just get that awareness of, you know, how to communicate effectively. How do we do this as a team? How do we find each other again? How do we maintain or find our friendship again? but you can always patch things up if you know what to look out for. April, thank you for talking with us. This is, this is such an important conversation. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm so glad to be here and share it with you. At Munchkin, we love giving back. So this week, we're giving away 10 Munchkin nursery and toy UV sterilizers. This safe yet powerful device kills up to 99% of bacteria and viruses on toys, stuffed animals, cell phones, tablets, and more. Be one of the first 10 listeners to email the words bacteria buster to podcast at munchkin.com to receive a UV sterilizer of your own. And that's the show. Thanks for taking the ride. And thank you to our guests, Catherine Watts-Reed, Victoria Wiggins, and April Eldemeyer. If you want more information about any of our guests, check out our episode guide at strollercoaster.com. I want to thank Munchkin for helping us put this together. No wonder they're the most loved baby brand in the world. You can buy all of your Munchkin products at munchkin.com. At Stroller Coaster, we're all about community. If you have a parenting confession you'd like to share, a question or a topic you want to hear more about, don't hesitate to reach out to us at podcast at munchkin.com. Just a reminder, if you haven't checked out our other podcast, you should. It's Stroller Coaster Storytime, our storytelling podcast for parents and children to listen together. You know what I love is that it's it's improvised. It's performed by improv yes. actors and it's directed by a, a kid, like a real kid. An actual child. <laughs> yes, who has been given power to direct. Um, it's uh, risky, but we do it. <laughs> you, you can find it right here in this same feed, so y'all should give it a listen. And now, something every parent can use, a timeout for yourself. Munchkin passionately supports many causes that help care for our planet and invites you to spend a little time now enjoying the world we live in with a walk through the woods. Enjoy. See you next time on Stroller Coaster.